This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Geyer to the wall. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. D-Man Toy with a two-run walk-off home run. The Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Bounce towards first and through a base hit right field. He's going to take a turnaround first and try for second. Here comes the throw by Gretchik. He is safe at second base. A hustle double for Kiermaier. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning and welcome to our latest show. Today we sit down with Tyler Glasnow about his recent run on the mound. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times will discuss a terrific week on the field. We chat with Brent Honeywell about his comeback effort. Eric Neander discusses the trade deadline and Jen Tran lets you know more about the run with the Rays virtual 5K. We continue on this week in Rays baseball and joining us, uh, one of the guys who really has helped lead the charge for the Rays during the course of this season on the mound and that is Tyler Glasnow. Tyler, we certainly appreciate some time on the show today. What do you think have been the keys to your success? I think a lot of it's just kind of getting back into the rhythm. It was kind of weird there with like the quarantine and the off season, like that weird period, but getting back with Kyle and the team and everybody and like getting back to normal and just having someone around that can like kind of help you with, I don't know, like getting through your adjustments and like kind of getting back on track. So I would just say like the inertia of season has taken over. (laughs) How close do you feel to that run that you had at the beginning of last year? right now because last year you were before that forearm injury you were as dominant as any pitcher in the league yeah I don't, I don't know if I can like compare to last year but I yeah like I said I feel good and I think I'm just starting to kind of get back into that rhythm of like getting onto a consistent pitching schedule so as far as that goes pretty close and it's kind of weird because you know you've, you're pitching so well right now and you talk about the early part of the season but we're now kind of late in the season too because of the way it's truncated yeah exactly I think it's just as far as like arm health and whatnot it's it definitely feels like the beginning of season but yeah I guess in terms of like playoffs and importance of games it's definitely later in the season it kind of just feels like normal baseball whether it's beginning or the end so I'm okay with it (laughs) with the playoffs expanded does it matter to you winning the division getting a number one seed any of that stuff or because of the way it may be played out if it's in a neutral site does it matter where you end up as long as you're in Uh, I think I mean it definitely matters you always want to win the division just for bragging rights in general but I'd say like in like It'd be nice, obviously, to go in with the one seed, but I think regardless, like our team is good. Like whether we go in at one or two or three or whatever, I think well, our odds of of going deeper are pretty good. So, but we, I think we definitely want to win the division for sure. This week was a certainly a big week from that regard, with the series win against the Yankees and everything that went on. Um, it obviously was an emotional week. What did it mean to you to see the way the team responded in that first inning on Wednesday night? In New York? Yeah, that was awesome. Obviously a little weird now, like we don't get to sit in the dugout with everyone, but we were like next to him in that little auxiliary dugout. And it was just amazing to see, like it was like kind of a storybook moment to see Brasso hit that home run. Everyone went crazy. That was uh, definitely a game I'll never 
forget. And then he went back up and hit a second home run. So I definitely won't forget it now. But yeah, that was that was an unbelievable moment. This whole year, this uh, unique season, you've had to handle a lot of different responsibilities too, not only pitching, but being the player rep. What has that been like and what have you learned? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I think in the quarantine time, I was so bored and had nothing to do. So it was kind of like a perfect storm for all that. Definitely a weird year to be the player rep just with all the negotiations and all like the protocol and stuff that goes on. But it definitely kept me busy for like, what is it, like two months or so, like six weeks. But a lot of phone calls. It was actually a good opportunity to, to talk to a lot of other reps on other teams and other players on other teams and uh, just learn more about everything in general. But uh, yeah, it was it was nice. It was a little frustrating in the beginning, obviously, like with all the back and forth. But I was happy we got a deal to go through this year and then just happy we're playing well right now. How, um, how has it helped you grow as a person? Because that's a lot of responsibility. I don't know. I, I think it's I, when you're like, I don't know. I guess it's, I'm doing it not only for me, I'm doing it for like the team and everybody. It's, I don't know, like as far as growing, but I mean, yeah, like I, I enjoyed it. I think it was, I had no problem doing it. Like I said, there was so much downtime that I, I really didn't mind. There were a lot of phone calls and whatnot, but when you're sitting in a house 24 hours, it's, it's nice to be able to talk to people. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, since the fact that even during this, you know, I think you mentioned it at the beginning, this is going to be home field home or hotel field hotel have you picked up any new podcasts, any new uh, Netflix shows, anything that has kind of been able to take up the time? Because that's got to be a challenge. Uh, yeah, I guess I picked up some new books, some podcasts. I guess I usually stick with like a lot of the my typical ones, like Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan and whatnot. But um, been able to read more. Same TV schedule, I guess, just like bad reruns of stuff when I'm bored. I don't really watch a ton of TV, but... I'm good at it when I do. I can sit and watch it for a long time. So um, nothing has changed that much, honestly. Like, I think since season has started now, like, your routine is basically the same. You go to the field so early and hang out with the guys for so long and then come back and you get back home so late that you don't have much time to do much anyway. So it's been it's been relatively normal. Is it is there a guilty pleasure show that you enjoy watching or – no, I mean, not really. I think I just have, I don't know, like your typical, like I'll watch like Friends and watch like Seinfeld and watch just like those just easy to watch background noise shows. And in terms of uh, working out has got to be different too. I know you can work out at the field, but do you use, does the room become a workout room for you or actual hotel? No, you just do everything at the field. <clears throat> in the quarantine, it was a bit different. You'd have to kind of find creative ways to work out, but in season, it's been, it's been the same. Again, chatting with Tyler Glassnow on This Week in Rays Baseball. You know, you had an interview on MLB Network earlier this week, and uh, one of the things you touched on was the fact that, you know, you were a high jumper at one point in your life, and your mom was your coach. What was mm -hmm. that like having mom as, a, mom as a coach, and how tough was she? No, she was good. Um, I was probably pretty difficult. Like, I, I'm still the same in the sense of, like, if I'm not doing something right or not doing well, I go, I'm like, one more. I want to do one more. I want to do one more. I want to do one more until I get it right. That's typically not the way it works. Like when you, when you feel bad and you keep doing it more and more, you just start to feel worse and worse. But I was always like my own worst enemy. So she was always like, stop. Like you are not doing any more. And Kyle does the same thing with me now. He's like, dude, you're, you don't feel right. Just stop pitching. Like, but no, it was a good experience. She was a really good high jump coach. Very patient, like helped a lot of other kids too. And then, I mean, it took up a lot of her time too. So, I mean, she worked a lot and then, and then did that. So I was always very appreciative of it. What was your personal best? I was so young. I don't know. I, I think I jumped like, I stopped when I was, what, in the eighth grade? Because baseball season and track were the same, so I couldn't do both. I think I, my last, like, competitive height, I think it was, like, in, my, in eighth grade was, like, 5'10". And then, like, sophomore year of 
high school after baseball practice, I was just fooling around and I walked by a track practice and it was like, and I one stepped six, two. So that's the only thing that I like, I think I would be relatively good at it still, but I haven't high jumped in, in so long. Would, but for that time in eighth grade, it was like a pretty, pretty high height, I guess. Not that the race wants you going practicing a high jump, but I know you can do a, you know, you can do a backflip. So personally, if you tried to do a high jump right now, you, you'd get over six foot easy, you think at six, eight? Yeah. Six feet, yeah, I'd get over six foot easy. I don't, I really don't know like what I would get. I, I have no idea, but I would six feet is I can tell you that I would jump over that for sure. Because <laughs> the world record's like eight, just over it's eight, like eight feet. ten. Yeah. Javier Sotomayor, whatever. Yeah. It is. yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna do that. That is what I won't do. Yeah. <laughs> How much does do those things help you? Like I'm like in terms of the things that you did as a kid, the other sports you played. How do you think they've helped you grow and what are the muscle groups that maybe you used in high jump or other things that have helped you become a really good pitcher? Yeah, I think all the other sports have like some sort of aspect that they've helped me with. Track and field helped me get a, a good work ethic early on. Like you have to fight with your inner voice when you're like eight years old. And that's like, I think all kids should try and at some point like be put into track just because you don't like enjoy it while you're in the moment. Like, of course you enjoy track and field, but when you're like about to vomit throwing up when you're eight years old and you have to keep going, it's like a, I think it's like an important lesson in terms of like, I don't know, like that, the work ethic. Um, and then like football and all that other stuff teaches you like the performance anxiety and like the nerves. And I, I do think as far as like muscle groups though, and like learning, a, learning your body, just like your, your awareness of where everything is. Um, other sports help me a lot. I think track helped me with that a lot. What kind of football player were you? In terms of what? What do you mean? Like what position? Yeah. What was your What was your strength? I was like a wide receiver and a, a D end. And then in high school, my freshman year, I was like the goofiest person ever. But I was a quarterback. But I preferred like D end and, and receiver a lot more. And who's a guy that you like watching now since the NFL season is close to starting? Dude, I don't really even watch football that much. Like uh, <laughs> I think it's great. Like Gronk and Tom Brady and Fournette just came to the to the Bucks, but I really don't watch that many. Uh, that many sports like even baseball in general obviously in season I watch a bunch of baseball but yeah I've never never really been like a huge NFL football guy and in terms of you know you've got a lot of different interests which we've touched on a little bit I think one of the cool things is you, you're uh, you've got one of your brother's products in your locker did I yeah so tell it's us about it, that. It's like the company works for is Tavala and it's like a smart oven and they have like pre-made like high quality meals not pre-made but like they'll come raw like salmon or chicken or whatever they have like these meals and you pick them out and they send them to you uh, and then you just like stick it in the oven and they have these little like uh the front of the thing they have like a scan barcode on the oven and then you just press a button it scans it and it knows what it is and it's like a, an, a, a wi-fi powered steam oven that cooks it really well and then if you don't get the pre-made meals too they'll do like uh you just buy anything like if you have like raw chicken or, or pasta or anything or like certain products in grocery stores you can just scan the barcode and they'll know how to cook it so you just it's like the easiest lazy person thing ever so i had it in my locker because i could just go get anything and just toss it in there after a workout and just get food right after i was done so it was extremely convenient it's a really good product too i still use it so what's a, a maybe it doesn't have to be a lazy person invention but an invention that you think boy if they made this here's the other here's the next million dollar idea that you're like why can't they do this Tovala or just in general in general anything that you're like boy i need to i'm done with baseball i'm going to come up with my million dollar idea well, I don't know. If I knew, I, I probably would have already done something with it. I have no idea. I don't know. If I, if I think of an answer there, I'll, I'll text you and you can edit it in on here. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms, just in terms of this season, how much fun, I know it's been difficult with all the protocols and the challenges, but how much fun are you having with this group this year? Oh, I, I mean, this group is so much fun and like win, lose, draw, whatever. 
the people and the personalities are always just the same and everyone's just so cool. Um, it obviously feels better to win, but yeah, it's unbelievable. It's such a, it's an awesome team to be traded to and then to stay here and just understand like what the future holds in Tampa. But yeah, like I said, like it's, it's always a joy to wake up and go to the field. Um, I'm very fortunate. We all are really fortunate to play on Tampa. And this is, well, it's not the anniversary of, but it's pretty close to, you were traded just, you know, a couple of years ago. You look back on it and ever and say, wow, I mean, this is kind of, I mean, it's really turned out to be a turning point for you, so to speak. Yeah, I look, I, I definitely think back to, I think it was, yeah, it was like two years ago, uh, at the end of August, I, I believe. Yeah, I, look, I think about it all the time. I, I'm super fortunate. Like, it was an awesome, like, not to say anything bad about any other organization, but like from going to the Pirates to here, it's obviously like a much better situation. So um, I just think coming over to, I've learned so much and met so many cool people. It's helped me grow as a, a person and a baseball player. Well, let's hope the good times continue for you and for the team uh, for a long time to come. We certainly appreciate some time on this week in race baseball. Sweet. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. That's Tyler Glass. Now we'll continue in just a moment. This is the Race Baseball Network. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball. Joining us right now from the Tampa Bay Times is Mark Topkin. Mark, you actually were on the road when the Rays had probably their biggest series, you could argue, of the season, and maybe in a long time. Um, you wrote about it today in the Times. What was the significance in the big picture of that Yankee series and what happened that last game? Yeah, Neil, uh, I think there was a lot that, that the Rays are going to take away from that series in New York, and it was very eventful, and uh, hats off to my bosses. They picked a great trip to let me go on the road for the first time, so I thank them as well. It was very eventful, and um, I think the two things that stood out and I wrote about in today's Tampa Bay Times were the comments that Kevin Cash made after the game. Obviously, the Yankees didn't like them. Obviously, fans around the game, you know, kind of eye-opening, but in that race clubhouse amongst those race players that just increased and enhanced the, the respect they have for Kevin cash and the leadership he provides. And, you know, that kind of, he had their back uh, approach really went over well with the players. So I think that resonated a uh, big time kind of the, you know, they'll do anything for this guy is, is what you heard from a lot of the players in the, in the aftermath of that. And the other thing was it brought the race closer together. I know you were asking a couple of players about that earlier this week as well, but you know, I, I think there was a unifying effect and, Sometimes there's different moments for a team over the course of a season that just stick with them. I mean, you go back to 08, and we always talk about the spring training uh, issue with the Yankees, where Elliot Johnson ran over the catcher, and, and the Yankees responded later in another spring training game, and then also the fight that season with Boston. You know, those big unifying moments. And in a way, that may be this moment for this season is, is what happened. Um, the recap, obviously, for someone who didn't hear or read was – on Tuesday night, the Yankees uh, hit Joey Wendell and then Chapman threw uh, at the head of Mike Brasso in the ninth inning. The Rays came in Wednesday. A lot of guys were upset. They had a team meeting. There was a lot of sentiment in the room to go back, get revenge, and, and keep this thing going. It's been happening since 18 with the Yankees. And they decided to go the other way. Kevin Cash spoke up. Wendell spoke up. Brasso spoke up. And they said, let's, let's play the bigger picture here. Take the high road. Go out and win the game. And then they did in spectacular fashion. Four runs in the first inning. Two run homers. One of them by Brasso, one of the most emotional moments of the season. And the little Sammy Sosa hop he did out of the box, I think, showed how he felt, even though he said afterwards, straight-faced, there was no revenge in my mind at all. Aha, uh -huh, sure there wasn't. But it was really a, a big moment for the Rays, Neil, and one that we'll be talking about going forward. Well, since you brought up Rosso, you're writing about him going forward, right? Um, how how well-liked is this guy in the clubhouse? Yeah, you talk about a guy that was non-drafted, out of a smaller college and, and basically got a call, you know, from the Rays, like, Hey, we need to fill our position, find your way to Port Charlotte, Florida. 
you know, we don't have any guarantees for you, but, you know, we'll give you a uniform and, and let you go on the field. And I don't think he could have gotten here quick enough. And he has just worked his way up, truly a guy that has earned every single thing he's gotten and brings a lot of energy. He's just one of those upbeat guys, do anything um, for anybody kind of attitudes. And he's really well liked in that clubhouse to begin with. And then the way he handled, you know, what happened Tuesday night, you know, he didn't instigate things. He didn't, you know, go charge the mound or do something that could have gotten other of his teammates hurt or suspended or anything like that. He just kind of reacted to what was said on the field, and then to come out with the, you know, the energy and the intensity that he did on Wednesday and hit that two-run homer and then hit another homer later in the game. I don't think there's anybody in that clubhouse more liked right now uh, amongst the players than Mike Brasso. They just love him and they love everything he's done before then, and they love what he did this past week. Good stuff on that end. You know, you brought up 08. How how much does this compare to 08, and how important was it, in, in do you think, in the big picture? Yeah, I mean, you know, the context obviously is different. In 08, the Rays hadn't done anything yet. They'd never had a winning season. You know, they'd had two seasons under the, the new ownership, the new management under Joe Madden. Um, they were just rebranding themselves as the Rays. So I, I think that was just an incredible confluence, an incredible coincidence that – they had these unifying events uh, in spring training and then again during the season in June. You know, this is obviously now a Rays team that's very well established that made the playoffs last year that was picked as a favorite going into this season, even, you know, the original season when we were way back in February and March, which seems like five years ago. Um, and, you know, through the delay, through the restart, still considered one of the better teams. But you know, even with the best record uh, in the league, there's certain things that happen over the course of a season that can unify a team and even further. And I just think this was one of those. And, you know, whether there's a specific parallel to 08 or it's more of a generalization, but just the concept of something that draws those guys together in the clubhouse. Uh, and, and, you know, you heard and read a couple of comments today in the Tampa Bay Times about that from Snell uh, and Charlie Morton and even Cash saying, you know what, I hope we do have that chemistry because when you have that kind of chemistry, you can do special things and, Usually you hear about it after the fact. Let's just put it out there now that we have it. And there's something to be said for that. I think this is a very tight group, and I think that you see that in the selflessness when guys uh, don't complain the way Cash uses them. There's guys who are used to being everyday players that are coming off the bench right now. There's pitchers that are pitching in different roles. There's pitchers that are, you know, like Nick Anderson could be a guy who says, I only want to pitch in save situations. Mm -hmm. But we've seen him pitch in the sixth inning, seventh inning, eighth inning, and I just think you have that attitude permeating through the clubhouse, and, and it's even further now. And you also cover the trade deadline this week. And, and maybe part of the reason that there weren't a lot of big moves made by the Rays were the market, and we'll hear from Eric Neander later, but maybe a lot of it has to do with the chemistry they do have in there. Yeah, I think that's part of it, Neil, and also what they had coming back. I mean, you know, since the trade deadline, uh, if you think about it, we've seen Charlie Morton come back off the injured list. We've seen Nick Anderson come back off the injured list. Uh, we're hearing now that uh, Oliver Drake is probably a week away. Ryan Yarbrough is going to come off the injured list and start Tuesday in Washington. So there's, you know, four of the key guys. Now, are they still missing some pieces? Absolutely. Could they still mm -hmm. have used some more depth? My, my personal opinion, yes. I was surprised they didn't trade for a little bit more of an experienced reliever, just someone else to, to pop in there. Uh, but they like what they've gotten out of guys like John Curtis and Aaron Fliegers and some of the other guys who pitched in at various times. And, you know, that was a gamble Eric Neander had to take. But you, you, factor in the availability, factor in the price, the acquisition cost, factor in the impact on the 40-man roster. You have to drop someone to make room for someone, which we all sometimes gloss over. And then the fact that you say they like what they have, they like the chemistry they have, and, and they feel good about it. Now, you know, if a couple more guys were to get hurt and they were suddenly 
out of options and, and, you know, calling up guys that maybe weren't ready, then in retrospect, probably they should have done something. Buck Showalter said something really interesting on MLB Network along those lines, Neil, and he said, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but sometimes the courage to not make a move is actually the toughest decision. And, and that was one that Eric Neander obviously felt comfortable making. Now we're going to hear from Eric in a little bit. How, Mark, do you look at the final 20 games of the season? It's hard to say, hey, we're two-thirds done with the season when guys have only played 40 games. That's a quarter of a year uh, most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're still going to wrestle with that, and, and I don't know if we wrestle with it more than the players and the coaches do as media people, but it's it, right. The juxtaposition of they've only been playing for, you know, what what is it now, five, six weeks, and there's only three or so weeks to go is still a really weird thing, but I think you've got to look at the postseason, too, and realize there could be another month after that for the teams that are fortunate enough to get to the, you know, AL and NLCSs into the World Series, and you know, from the race standpoint, obviously they're happy with where they are. Um, that five-and-a-half game lead, they got a break last night they lost, and then both the Yankees and Blue Jays uh, were in close games that they ended up losing. So, you know, they're in pretty good position. Uh, I, you know, the seeding is a little weird this year because the first uh, four teams, basically, the three first-place teams, the top second-place team, all get to play at home in that first round. But you always want to finish at the top if you can, and I, I think the Rays are in position. The schedule's uh, favorable. They've got, you know, by, according to Elias Sports Bureau, the actual easiest schedule of all the American League teams going forward. A lot of games with Baltimore helps, obviously. And uh, we'll see where they finish. But I think the opportunity to be the number one seed is certainly something they should look for uh, and want to lock down. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Mark, I, I hope that people will read that article today in the Times and the upcoming story of Mike Brasso. Uh, really good stuff, and we appreciate some time on This Week in Race Baseball. Anytime, Neil, and always appreciate your uh, information as well. You got it. That is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, before we continue, why don't we pause for station identification? You are listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball and time to head down to Port Charlotte with a guy we enjoy talking to so much, and now he's back on the field and continuing his comeback effort, and that's Brent Honeywell. Brent, uh, thanks very much for being with us. How are you feeling? Good. Thanks for having me, Neil. Always enjoy talking to you. Tell me what the latest procedure was about and how much has changed for you since the procedure took place. Essentially, I think this is the one that, you know, got me over the hump. What was, I feel like that was the issue. But it's been a, it's been a long, it's been a long three years. I've seen a lot of dogs. I've, I've talked to a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of doctors, but it was there was some headbutting going on and, you know, I think that's just part of growth. I think, you know, it's, you learn more about who you are and who you're trying to be the best I can be for who I was talking to. And with stuff, with, with things like this, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's not easy unless you're playing. And I think that's the biggest thing that I, you know, really had to come to grips with over the past couple of years is that, you know, I, I didn't necessarily take it for granted, but, Playing baseball is is something that I like to do, and this is something that I feel like I like to do more than other people. And with the things that were going on, it was it was really tough. And I'm just I'm happy to be in the clubhouse with with my guys now, and I'm I'm happy to be in a in an environment where you know I feel like all of my tools of baseball, my IQ, my the way I get along with my guys, the way they get along with me, you know, competitiveness side of side of everything. I feel like. I felt like I had a lot to offer, even without throwing the baseball over the past few years. And it's a big help. It's it's a step in the right direction for sure. And you know, it's it doesn't do anything but make you feel better when when you get over there with everybody. 
I'm sure. So they decompressed a nerve. What what does that mean, and and how much did it change how you felt? So when when I had Tommy John, they they had transposed my nerve, which Dr. Andrews typically does. It kind of just gets it out of the way of you know down the road problems is kind of what they say or you know how they go about doing their business in there. Which again, I am I am no doctor, but I have been to a lot of them. <laughs> So what they did is, you know, I think I've been dealing with this for a longer time than, you know, I probably realized, you know, having Tommy John was my first surgery, like ever. It was the first time I've ever been put to sleep. And I didn't know any different than putting the ball in my hand and ready to rock. Like I didn't, I didn't know any different. Like the biggest thing is that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be as ready and get as ready as soon as I could. And I think that's baseball driving me, you know, sometimes you got to kind of, you know, baseball will always be here for me, and that's the biggest thing that I had to learn over the past couple of, of years. And I kind of had this done after I fractured as well because he, Dr. Andrews already went in and, you know, he had, he had to go in anyway and fix my epicondyle and put the screw in. So he went in there and kind of debreeded the nerve to begin with, but I produced a lot of scar tissue, I guess. You know, I did it both times. You know, I, I after Tommy John, I, I kind of had some symptoms of this, but it wasn't. It wasn't anything too really crazy. There was nothing that we were like, "Hey, this is what we missed. This is what happened." Like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't any of that. And then I fractured, which was a very, very, very freak thing. And it was, you know, one in four hundred and fifty. I think is what Dr. Andrews was telling me it was the first one he's done in a couple of years. And you know, it's a it's a freak thing. And there's a few guys that are pitching with in the major leagues right now. And you know, it's just something that. You know, I, it wouldn't bother me if there was nobody pitching in the major leagues. Like, nothing like that. You know, I don't have any hindrance or any, you know, weight on my shoulders. But, you know, I don't worry about any of that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm fixed. And I got all my stuff done except the nerve debridement done by one of the best in the game. And, you know, it's just been a wild three years. But, yeah, the nerve decompression was – my nerve was getting entrapped in the scar tissue once again. And they, they essentially, you know, cut me back open and took the nerve and kind of stripped the nerve from the scar tissue, kind of got it to where it was moving freely and kind of gotten its way through and, you know, wrapped it up in some, in some fat and kind of gave it a cushion and a buffer from allowing it to scar back down. And, you know, I, I felt better off the table. It was amazing. It was, it was crazy, actually. It was – I felt ten times better getting off the table, and I've, and I've gotten better ever since. So how, how was it affecting you? And how now are you doing in terms of your throwing program and, and everything you're doing right now? When it started to affect my, my everyday life, like it, it started to affect me, you know, pouring a gallon of milk, pouring some water or pouring, opening up doors and mm. opening up all kinds of stuff. You know, I'm sitting here saying like, man, like, you know, or, or picking up some stuff or I'm saying like, man, like I'm stronger than this. Like I, I'm what, Tampa and I have done over the past three years, I'm stronger than this. Like this is, this isn't who I am. Like this is, if I can't do this, I can't throw 95 plus miles an hour. Like that's, <laughs> something's not right. And like, I gotta, I gotta be able, like, like I said earlier, you know, pitching is a lot of my life. Baseball is a lot of my life. And you know, this is, this is, I want to be in this game for, for a long time. I, I've got a lot to offer even without throwing a baseball. And but I do, I got a, I got a ton of offer throwing the baseball. And I, and I know that I still know that. And, you know, a lot of people here know that and are willing to take the chance on it. And it's a good feeling. They, they, they haven't been anything but in my corner. Like I said, you know, butt of heads, 
but I think it's part of growth and it's just part of it. But I think I'm, it got, it's, it put me in the right direction and, and, you know, moving from there and being able to use my arm like I used to use it. 2017 is the last thing I got to look at on the, on a paper about when I threw a baseball and you know, I can go back to the day I came out of the bullpen and what I felt and how I was feeling and what I used to feel like and the stuff I used to throw up there and where I used to throw it. It just, it wasn't allowing me to do that at the time. It was a lot harder to do what I used to do and I knew something was up and we got it fixed and you know, here we are. So Brent, how close are you to being that guy right now? Where do you feel you are in terms of your, your getting back to normal? You know, I'm, I'm not a guy to make excuses by any means, but being out three years is a while. Mm-hmm. The way, kind of the way that I think about things is, you know, you know, you know me, I'm a little bit different in the way my thought process is. And it's like, you know, how, what can I do to cut down the loss of three years of throwing a baseball? What are the things that I can do to cut down the time to refine who I am and what I'm trying to do. So, you know, I got in the weight. I was in the weight room. I put on some weight. I didn't really want to do much dry work over the past few years because I know what it feels like to, to use a ball in my hand or, you know, I, I, I work better that way. And I just, I just kind of take, I just kind of took some steps. You know, I do, I, I do things differently than a lot of people. You know, I, I, I like to get my work in, in between the lines and, you know, I like to just, you know, just try and keep my body in the best shape that I that I can to make sure I'm ready to go every fifth day, regardless of if I need to lift weights that week or, or if, if I if I need to do something, you know, out of the ordinary or, or something like that. But once I got this third procedure done, it, my command, I don't think my command was ever really an issue, but the velocity was definitely an issue. And, you know, being able to control it throughout my bullpens or throughout throwing or something like that. It was just a lot. It was just a lot of things that kind of just weren't out of the ordinary for me to recognize. But, you know, I'm, I'm on the right track. You know, I, I mean, my goal this year is to get to the major leagues. That's my goal. Whether they use me or not, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, I'm not up in arms about not being in the big leagues right now. You know, they've proven that they don't, they don't need help. You know, they, they got the guys there who, who need to be there and, the injury bug has hit us, and it's been a lot of fun watching this this year. And I think that's the main thing is over the past three years is I, I've done I've done my due diligence of studying and, and knowing who we have to to beat this year and and how things are going to work this year. You know, this is a weird season, but I'm excited. I'm not really sure how far technically out I am from from pitching in the major leagues or whatever, but I do know that I, I'm I'm an option. You know, that I don't think they would have put me over here if I wasn't. Still got some things I gotta I gotta fix and um these guys are these guys are doing nothing but helping me and like I said, being in the clubhouse is probably the biggest thing that's helped me over the course of three years. I'm sure. In terms of getting added to the sixty player pool, what did that mean? Yeah, I mean I, I you know, the the like I said, the biggest thing that what it meant to me is that I, I got around my guys that I haven't been around in a baseball season in three years. I mean, eighteen, nineteen and and then two weeks ago was probably today and you know it was it was good it, it it meant a lot to me because of who we had over there the guys that we have down there like the game of baseball they're good at the game of baseball we're tight knit down there already you know being there like i said for just a few weeks and noticing that these guys are are as close and tight knit and knowing that you got Dewey and Rick Knapp down there helping us out and knowing that these guys know what they're doing with, with the pitchers and, and just kind of letting they're, they're kind of letting us do our own thing down there. And I think that's the, you know, they're, they're, they're letting us be, they're letting Shane Boz be Shane Boz. They're letting Joe Ryan be Joe Ryan. They're letting Shane McClanahan be McClanahan. You know, they're, they're letting everyone be themselves down there. And I think that's the, 
that's the biggest thing. And, and as different as it is, these guys are having a good time down here. They're having a good time watching us win up there, however we can do it. And they're watching a good time. We're beating up on some guys. And it's fun to watch. It means a lot to me that they want me to be a part of this. And, you know, like I said, though, you know, I have a lot to offer other than throwing a baseball to to guys who are still playing the game of baseball. And, like, it, I, I love baseball. Like, I'm just a baseball guy. And any way that I can feel like I'm contributing in some way or the other, I, I like to do it. I'm happy to be where I am. It's been a while, but uh, still a pitcher. And that's Brent Honeywell, and it certainly is great to have him back on the mound and in the 60-player pool. He credits race trainer Paul Harker a tremendous amount for all the work and support over the last several seasons. Coming up, Eric Neander, the race senior VP and GM on the trading deadline, and Jen Tran on the Running with the Race virtual 5K. You're listening to This Week in Race Baseball on the Race Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and joining us to discuss the trading deadline, which is coming gone, is Race Senior VP and GM Eric Neander. Eric, what were your biggest takeaways from that whole stretch? Because obviously it was very different this year. It was. Having a trade deadline after a month of season and then only having a month of season after the trade deadline uh, was very disorienting. We really like where our team's at, and, and we added a few players in, in Brett Phillips and and Cody Reed that our players we think can help us not just for this year but hopefully for for the years ahead and always tempting when you're in a position of strength when it comes to wins and losses to want to continue to add to continue to add and certainly we explored many different ways to do that but at the same time uh, we have a lot of confidence in the group that is in place the way that some of the players have stepped up that have received opportunities due to injury and just because the grass isn't always greener, and we, we wanted to make sure we really appreciated the players that we have and, and how well they're playing. Take that into account with any moves, and, and because of how well they're playing, we set some pretty high thresholds for deals, and uh, we got a few things done, but not the kind of splashy moves that uh, tend to get fans most excited. Well, I mean, you could look back at last year. You guys may have been excited about Nick Anderson and how well he has pitched since joining you, but he probably was certainly not among the flashy names that people were talking about at the deadline last season. That's fair. And, you know, we, we like Nick a lot. And what we've gotten out of Nick in our uniform is, is above any reasonable expectations we had. I mean, he has been, over this stretch, as good as any reliever in baseball. I don't think that's an exaggeration. He has been that dominant. And so that's a level of performance that we weren't expecting. We were expecting Nick to be a key contributor to our pen, and we obviously paid a price that would suggest that. But, yeah, certainly at the time was not someone that had the track record behind him and the years of experience behind him. You know, not a situation we paid for that. We really paid for what was ahead, and Nick's done more than deliver on our expectations. You mentioned the additions, Cody Reed and Brett Phillips. Both are still controllable. How important was it to get controllable assets rather than a rental in such a short year? There's always that fine balance in terms of how you do things. And when you're in a position, the standings where we are – the feeling of certainty, the feeling of having pieces that have been through it before and have a long track record of major league successes is really important. But at the end of the day, it's all about what can they do from the moment of acquisition forward for us. And, you know, we're always mindful of the current year when you're in a position like this, but we're also very thoughtful and um, focused on the years ahead. And, and, and these are moves that fit some for this year. And like I said before, some things that we identify in their potential that put them in a real position to help us, not just for this year and beyond. And I think we're usually going to err on that side when we have decisions to make between the two options. We've touched on the length of the season, but how much of the trade deadline was impacted by 16 teams 
making the playoffs this year? And how did it impact what you could or couldn't do? I think the, the playoff format and the lack of separation in the standings because only a month of baseball uh, has been played were factors and there not being that many teams that were willing to just clear cut sell as we've grown accustomed to. It led to some conversations between contending clubs and seeing if there's ways to find deals that were mutually beneficial, but there weren't, there wasn't a whole lot of that, that that ultimately developed. And beyond that, just the ability to, you know, you have to expand a playoff format, but just only having a month of baseball, the assessments of players and how disruptive this season has been and, and all that's happened that's led us to this point. I think just the desire to be a little more conservative in the evaluations and not wanting to be tricked or fooled into, you know, what a guy's done, you know, over a three, four week period um, is really important. It might have led to more conservative behavior in general for those reasons. I think more than anything, we just really like the group that we have and how they've come together and how they've played. And at the same time, everything that's gone on, everything we've experienced as a group this year, the chemistry, the camaraderie of the group, the way they play together, giving all the, you know, all the distractions and all the things that make this that much more challenging. You don't want to disrupt that at the same time. So all reasons I think would hold for a lot of different clubs that are in the mix um, as to why they might be more apt to, to stand pat and be careful with uh, the type of moves they make this past deadline. You did remove one player in Jose Martinez and training him to the Cubs. How much of that was about the return that you got and the impact it could have long-term versus the trust you have in Randy Arozarena and his ability to help the club right now? Both. Jose is someone that I think in isolation, when you look at his abilities and, and, and you look at the way he can increase the, you know, the clubhouse mix, chemistry, culture, as we just talked about, there's real value to that. Um, the return itself is something that we thought made sense. And, and more than that, you know, for our entire organization, we have 60 games of baseball this year. That's it. And we have our, some players that have been at the alternate site that frankly we feel are deserving to get a little bit of an opportunity this year and, and to get some time in games that, that matter. And Randy's certainly one of them. Nate Lowe's another. Brian O'Grady, you know, that was, a, you know, a less heralded pickup that we made last winter, but another player that we really like and has done nothing but make the absolute most of circumstances to demonstrate that he's continuing to get better. So, like I said, part of it was the return and part of it was just opening up some lane of opportunity for young players that we feel are ready to contribute at the major league level. And, you know, some risk does come with that because you're trading someone in Jose that has established a certain skill set at this level. But at the same time, uh, we got some guys that were pretty excited about their future and um, you don't want to risk calling them out too much and feel they're ready to, to help us contribute too. And in terms of the, the impact you can have on a clubhouse culture, obviously you had to feel comfortable with some of the leaders, young leaders who are growing in that clubhouse, like Willie Adamas and Joey Wendell and Kevin Kiermeyer, et cetera, and so on. This is a year unlike any other when it comes to the importance of camaraderie you know, and, and, and culture. And these guys, they feed off one another. They've played together. A lot of them, the core of this club's played together a long time. And you have some level of concern when you trade someone like Jose Martinez that is very strong in, in those areas and, and how that'll be perceived and how it'll be handled. But um, I think the confidence in this group and their focus and determination to make this a very successful season uh, ultimately put us in a position where we felt it was worth uh, taking on some of that risk. And on that end, how proud were you of what took place in New York, how the guys handled it going forward? Just talking to a few of the guys here back at the park and not being on the trip and, and having a chance to, you know, to talk to Joey, talk to Bros, to talk to, to Kiermaier, Snell, so on. Just about every player I came across with uh, when they had a few minutes to spare, and I had a few minutes to spare. You know, just talked about, for, for me personally, um, and I think it was felt by a lot of us, that was 
that first inning in particular and the response that, that our players had by what they did on the field was, you know, a moment that we're all really proud of and one of the more enjoyable moments we've had here because it, it's something where, you know, obviously we're really upset about the way things went down and, and what happened, but the response, the maturity of the response and to, to take all that happened and all the frustration and, and anger, frankly, for the way things went down and to channel it in a way that led to the type of outburst we saw when that first inning in particular, and, you know, Randy's homer big, Bross, you know, the two-run shot in the first was huge. And on TV, to hear the dugout, the life in the dugout, you know, they were juiced up pretty good. And, you know, that, that's all you could ask for in, in circumstances like that. And certainly took the high road and, and certainly got the W. And uh, that was nice to see. And we got a lot ahead of us and very well could be a team we see down the line here again in 2020. And uh, just got to keep playing good ball. Indeed. The 60-player pool that you have is still a few shy of being full. And I know your focus has been on getting guys who will help you win now, but you're also trying to develop. Will you fill up those 60 at some point, and will they be with development guys, or will they be with guys who maybe have become free agents because things haven't worked out somewhere else? Yeah, um, I think it'll be important to us to maintain some amount of flexibility in that group. However, we, we elect to do that just because we're past the trade deadline and what you have is what you have, more or less, the, the rest of the way here. So you want to make sure that when it comes to coverage for your major league team and all that could happen as, as we move forward here, that you're well covered in all aspects. And certainly we've been, we've been tested with our coverage so far this year. But again, you know, I talked earlier about there only being 60 games that count. But, and, and, and those aren't at the alternate site, but that alternate site is about as much, or that's, that's all the organized activity that's going on right now. And, you know, we're looking to see if we can make room for a few more prospects to get in to give them some opportunity to, to be around the group and to develop. And that's something that, you know, Xavier Edwards has been brought in, Greg Jones has brought in. looks like we're going to add a few more here as, as we go along just to give them a little bit of opportunity to. So the, the priority is our major league club in 2020 and making sure that that group satisfies any potential needs that arise, but a very close Second to that is making is the priority of our major league team beyond this season, and and that means getting some guys in there that are you know in the system and have bright futures ahead of them, but might not be impacting our club in 2020. On that end, I read the Baseball America report about there being some sort of instructional league opportunity. What does that mean to have that? Assuming that's the case, this season's about being patient, it's about being flexible and adaptable to to whatever comes up, and doing it on on short timelines. So with that specifically, I think we'd love nothing more than to create opportunity for some of our players to to get in and to get some reps and, and development underneath them in, a, in an organized setting with with other players. Nothing that's been finalized at this point in terms of format, structure, number of participants, et cetera, and, and, and even the dates. But uh, we're keeping close tabs on it and trying to make sure, like I said, um, if it is a short notice thing, which seems very likely that it, it will be, that uh, we'll be in a position to to make the most of it. And, and that's all we can do. Eric, thanks for a few minutes. Uh, good luck down the stretch. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. And that's Ray's senior VP and GM Eric Neander with a really good perspective on the trading deadline. Joining us now to discuss a really neat event that the Rays are doing here in September in the community is Vice President of Human Resources and Organizational Engagement, Jen Tran. Jen, thanks very much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me today, Neil. We are super, super excited to talk to you about our Running with the Rays virtual 5K. It's our first ever and it's certainly been a labor of love for our department and ultimately benefiting the found foundation, the Rays and Rowdies um, Foundation. So we're super excited to you know, make sure that we get as much fan, fan engagement as possible and we, we appreciate this time with you right now. So tell me how the idea for this came about. 
So at the Rays, um, I don't know if our fans really know this, but apart from being on the field, but in the front office, we have a very strong culture of wellness. And so whenever possible, we really try to make sure that we really surround our staff with as many healthy options as possible. And that runs the gamut from, you know, a gym for them to participate in, you know, a meditation room, yoga, healthy food options. So it really is part of our DNA here at the Rays. And of course, you know, falling in line with that when we were trying to think of uh, fundraising efforts for the foundation, given the world in which we live in right now with the COVID virus and, and what's happening out there, this made perfect sense. And we've always actually wanted to have a race, an in-person race, but we, within the confines of our situation right now, we have to do it virtually, but you know, we're super excited about it. So give us an idea how this works. I know that you've got different types of participation levels and really it's the month of September that people can participate. Absolutely. So we have two different registration levels and the first is a $30 price point and that will provide you with a certificate a race bib, which everybody wants that race bib because it's their identifying number. And then of course, our very prestigious running with the Rays virtual 5k medal that we're really proud of. And it's really very cool. It's the throwback logo. And we're excited that this is our first iteration of, of the race and, and the medal that corresponds with it. Uh, there's a second price point that also comes with the items I just mentioned. I mean, that is $50, but then you also get two tickets to a game next year, season dependent. So yeah, but two, two tickets to a game next season. Which is great. And then in terms of the, the whole idea of doing this, they can do it at any point, right, in the month of September. It's not like they have a, a specific day that they have to do the 5K on. Absolutely. So between September 1st and September 30th, anyone who registers can go ahead and enter their race, their finishing information on the website. So you put in your time and your name and your race bib, um, and then we'll have a leaderboard and everything, just like a traditional race. But yeah, anytime between September 1st and September 30th, you can log your race results. And then we are actually going to be doing a few surprises for those that complete the race. So just randomly, we'll be sending some stuff out, but we do want to hear those stories and we do want to engage socially with anyone who completes the race, whether that's showing your race medal or showing your time or showing a family photo. Um, we're going to be using the hashtag race 5k. So we're really looking forward to seeing some of that um, social engagement. And you don't have to be someone who's really a competitive person to do this too, right? They can jog, they can walk, they can go with their dog, they can, you know, make some, create some fun photos and engage that way too. Absolutely. You know, I hate to, to talk about myself, but um, I didn't start running until my mid to late 30s. Um, and I was really very sedentary. I didn't, I couldn't jog around the block. So we're encouraging folks, you know, anyone really can do this. Um, and yes, you can walk, jog, you can run. This could be time for you to spend with your family where you can all bond around everybody getting this medal, which is pretty cool. Um, you can do it with your pets. I know you, you uh, I think we're going to be doing this with Ivy, I think is your dog's mm -hmm. name. So yeah, you can get out with your pets. But back to the sedentary standpoint, um, there are a lot of programs out there like a Couch to 5K, which literally takes you from zero active lifestyle to uh, having the ability to run 5k, which is 3.1 miles. Um, so the task can seem daunting, but it, they really do have good programs out there that can, can teach you how to do that. But by all means, you don't have to run this race. Any um, form of activity is obviously good for us and, and staying healthy, especially during this time that we're quarantined. And this is an important fundraiser too for the race, as well as it engaging the community. Absolutely. So um, obviously, during you know the, the virus, we've had to shift our 
our thought process and, and fundraising for the foundation. So, you know, our foundation, the mission of our foundation is, is really dedicated to improving the lives of, of those in need within our community. Um, we do this in a number of um, different capacities, but we focus on education, youth development, wellness, it's there again, um, and then social responsibility. So we, we need to continue to fundraise so we continue, uh, so we can continue to, to grant those monies to different organizations. Um, we have long-standing partnerships with a lot of hunger relief organizations like Feeding Tampa Bay, which right now is, is so important to our community given, you know, the rates of unemployment and mm -hmm. especially for our seniors who are even more shut in than, than most of us because of their, you know, their uh, high risk category. So um, it's really important that we continue to fundraise. This is a way that we can do that. We can do it safely. We can do it while social distancing and then continue to, to get those funds out to our community, to those who need it the most. And you mentioned this is the first, but I guess the hope is, is that this will become an annual event and you'll be able to do a number of other events in the future too. Yes, 100%. I'm super passionate about racing and so is a, a, so are a number of members of our department who have really spearheaded this initiative, really gone all in on, on making sure we can get this done from finding the partner to designing the race medal. Um, it's really been a collective effort within our organization and especially within our community engagement department. So we couldn't have done it without those folks. But yeah, we hope to have many iterations of this. As I mentioned, we have the throwback medal right now for the for this race, um, but we hope to maybe our next race have the throwback Rowdies logo um, and do one that's more Rowdy centric. So we hope that this will be you know a continuing effort and we'll have all these collectible medals that, that folks can get and hang them on their wall and really, you know, participate and get engaged with us any way we can right now, um, given that we can't have fans at games. Jen, thanks for a few minutes and good luck with this. Okay, thank you. And that's Rays Vice President Jen Tran. And the event is sold out now. So thank you to all who are participating in the Running with the Rays 5K. And thanks to Jen and all of our guests on the program today. Hey, you can win big with the Rays 50-50 charity raffle. For every game you can enter, the weekly raffle from the comfort of your home by going to RaysBaseball.com slash 50-50. Some restrictions apply. Thanks not only to Jen Tran, but Tyler Glasnow is starting today. Mark Topkin, Brent Honeywell, and Eric Neander. If there's someone you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me. At Neil Solons. Next week, reliever Nick Anderson and a whole lot more. Thanks to producer Derek Dubose. I'm Neil Solons. Stay tuned. The pregame show's next on the Race Baseball Network.